Ever feel like you're doing this teaching thing alone? You don't have to be. Share Teaching is all about sharing the workload through the power of collaboration and teamwork. Together, we'll walk through all the difficult parts of teaching and learn how to streamline our processes, fine-tune our time management, and develop a more manageable workload. If that sounds like a dream come true to you, then welcome to the Shared Teaching Podcast. Let's share in the teaching to make those dreams a reality. Now here's today's Shared Teaching. Welcome to the Shared Teaching Podcast. You are listening to episode number 35, Student Learning Goals. I'm your host, Susan. And before we dive into today's episode, I just wanted to take a moment to say if you've been a listener with me, I appreciate you and I thank you very much for hanging in there and listening. But I also want to say that I am very sorry. It's been very hard to keep up with podcast, blog posts, and my full-time teaching job. So as you may know, this year is very crazy. My prep time is no longer prep time because there's not enough subs, so I've been covering other people's classes during my prep several times a week. I just finished parent-teacher conferences last week, and I gotta say, I am more mentally exhausted than I have been since before, well, since when COVID first started. So I feel your pain. I am in the same boat as you, but I am doing my best to do a quality job, the best of my ability, but still try to maintain a little bit of my sanity for when I am home. So let's go ahead and get into today's episode. So today's episode is all about setting student learning goals that are manageable in your classroom. So I know when you're first starting out teaching, there's so, so many things going on, new programs to learn, curriculum to figure out, and a lot of it is not taught in your teacher preparation program. I know, I get it. That is exactly what happened to me when I first started teaching. So let me just say, you are not alone in feeling so overwhelmed. Even veteran teachers like myself are feeling overwhelmed right now. But I happen to love setting goals for my students. And hopefully after listening to this episode, it's something that you want to give it a try. It's not a whole lot more onto your plate of things you need to do. And I feel like the benefit far outweighs the time that you need to put into it. And by that, I say, once you have it prepared up front, there's not that much time put into it. So let me go through the episode and you will see what I mean. So every year I set student learning goals with my students. My first few years I had learning goals for each student, but I really didn't communicate them to my students so they could take ownership. Now I set the goals with them as much as I can so they know exactly what they are working towards. So the way I decide on how I'm going to set these goals or what the goal should be, the first thing I do is I evaluate where my class is at and I compare that to what the grade level standards say. 
So for example, I asked them to do a writing sample and I use the same prompt for the writing sample throughout the year. So at least the beginning and the end of the year at the most or at the least I should say is what I want to do. Sometimes I'll put one in the middle of the year, but unless I'm required, I usually just do beginning and end because I really think it's powerful to see where they started from and where they finished and to hold a sample of each of those and then compare them. I also do this little side note tip during parent-teacher conferences. I pull a writing sample from their writing folder that is current and I share it with families. Now, if the student is very low and needs a lot of support and help, I will pull a writing sample from a higher student, but not the highest student, and I will share with the parent, and I will cover their name, and I will say, this is what another student in the class is capable of doing. This is where your child needs to be. This is where they currently are, because sometimes they need that visual as a wake-up call for hey, I think I need to work with my child while they're at home because they can see how far apart those two writing samples are. So getting back to the writing prompt, this year I asked students to write about a time that they had a fun day. So I try to avoid things like your favorite vacation, things that might not apply to all the students in the classroom, but everyone in the classroom has had some kind of fun day. And we do a class brainstorm, just talking out loud of things that could be a very fun day. And I allow each child to share. And this year I got things ranging from going to like a trampoline jumping place called Sky Zone. Another student said playing with his dad was a fun day. So all across the board, Some people said Disneyland, one went to Hawaii. So I want the kids that are saying things like playing with dad, going to the park, helping their baby brother, to see that it doesn't have to be some elaborate vacation their parents took to have a fun day. So I want it to be accessible for all the class. So when you're thinking of a writing prompt, think with that in mind. You don't want to exclude any students and have them be, well, well, I never went on a vacation anywhere because you might have students like that. I teach in a fairly poor population. It's a Title I school, 100% free and reduced breakfast and lunch at my school. So I try to keep these things in mind when I'm designing my activities and things like writing prompts. So we brainstorm and then I pass out the writing paper. I don't want to prompt the students too much on what to include. Like I don't want to say, okay, your first sentence is going to start with first and then you're going to go then, then next, just like the first grade teachers did the previous year. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but if I'm taking a true assessment on what they learned the previous year, I don't want to remind them (laughs) and show them what they did the previous year because I want to see what they already know. I don't want to give all that information away right up front. So we literally just orally brainstorm what was fun. I pass out the writing paper and I ask them to write. So my writing paper has three boxes at the top and it's designed that way specifically because I want to see if they're doing a natural beginning, middle, and end picture. And then Are their words matching and do they have a three-part story? 
Okay, so once I've assessed my students, I look at the skills that are necessary from where I want them to be by the end of the school year. Then I take stock of where my students are at currently. So for me, I find writing the easiest to start with because there's a very natural progression of how they start to write and where you need them to end up by the end of the school year. I've seen some very good writing books that I personally have, which unfortunately are packed away right now, so I can't dig them out. But I believe you can Google and see um, the progression of student writing if you Google, I want to say, it might just be progression of kids writing or (laughs) student writing progression. And you can see kind of They start with like sketching things that don't resemble words, and then they sketch and, oh, it's kind of sticks in circles, so maybe they're starting to form letters, and it kind of goes through that process. So when I think of writing in my head, I'm very much step-by-step kind of a person, so I know that progression for myself of what I expect my students to be. So they're learning how to sound out the words. Then they're using those words to write sentences. The sentences has a capital and a period. And after that, they're adding details to their words. They're putting their sentences into paragraphs. So you can see that progression. So when I'm thinking of that and what they need to have a proper sentence, the skills might include capitalization, punctuation, spaces between their words, and sounding out their words. So if my class is very low, I'm looking at those four skills, and I'm looking at the piece of writing that they just turned in, and I'll say, okay, do they have capitals? Check. Do they have punctuation? Check. Do they have spaces between their words? Mm, No. So maybe that's where I want to start. And then I'll I'll run through that same list again. Okay, if they don't know, if there's no words on the paper and I can't make heads or tails out of it, then maybe I'm starting with sounding out the words. Okay, If they're really good, they have a whole complete sentence. Do they have that capitalization? Do they have that proper punctuation? If they do, then I move on to the next thing. Do they talk about details in their story? Or do I want them to have sequence words? What is my next step for what makes the most logical sense for where the student needs to go next? So I kind of jot that down, and I can have as many students I want on one writing goal at a time. It doesn't really matter. It could be the whole class, but usually it never is. The more different goals you have, though, the more difficult to manage it will be, because you're going to start forgetting, okay, well, he was on this goal, they're on this goal, this is this goal. It's going to get way too confusing. So try to limit yourself to no more than four or five different goals at a time. And I actually have this giant pencil in my classroom that I created out of just really large construction paper, and I glued it together, and then I laminated it so it looks like a cute little pencil in my classroom, and it says writing goals, and then I made these posters that are not quite for sale yet on my TPD store. I keep saying I'm going to get those up, but then I want the whole bundle up, so it's it's a struggle, believe me. But anyway, then I have these writing goal posters, and then the kids sign their name on the writing goal poster for which goal they're working on. And that's on my wall, so that I can see at a glance, okay, these six kids that signed their name on this poster, that is the goal. So when I go around and check the classroom, I can see 
those six kids writing and I'm looking specifically for maybe sounding out the words. So as I go through the classroom, I can look. I say, okay, I saw it. I didn't see it. If I see it multiple times, different days, I know they've mastered that goal. I can give them another goal. The other way I can do it is I can do an, a formal little sit-down writing conference with that student in a one-to-one but I prefer the whole walking around the classroom having a quick stop and chat method, which I got from Lucy Calkins. She also, I believe, does the whole writing conference, but I like short and sweet, manageable. I only have a 45-minute writing block. About 10 of those is taken away from my lesson, and then that gives them like 30, 35 minutes to write And um, I don't know, it seems like the time always disappears from that writing block. Okay, so keeping goals manageable. So my secret to keeping the goals manageable is to limit my goals to things the students can easily work towards each week. So within my class, that means we set goals in three areas, reading, math, and writing. My reading goals are fluency-based, and I have a secondary goal for myself of improving the reading level but they are communicated with regards to where their reading level is. But I try not to make it a huge deal because some kids will jump up several levels in a year. Some kids will not. So I make my bigger push to be on meeting their fluency goal rather than their reading goal because you're going to see less progress with them moving through reading levels than you will see with a timed fluency passage. So as a grade level, we chose our focus to be, our student learning focus to be fluency. So it just just so happens that's also a student learning goal I have. So I'm only monitoring once and I'm checking two boxes. I'm checking it off for my student learning goal and I'm checking it off for my individual students in my class that have that goal. 87% of my class happens to be below grade level in reading, which means they're required to be benchmarked weekly. So it's a very easy thing for me to stay on top of because I'm required to do it through the RTI, which is response to intervention. So I know I have to get that score one way or the other. And so I already have set aside the time to do it. And it's very easy to be like, okay, I'm updating my personal record and I'm updating your learning goal record. So the writing goals I've already described, the students write daily in my class. I try to make that a huge priority because the more they're practicing writing, the better they get at it. So I try to make sure writing every single day. So this gives me lots of opportunities to walk around, like I said before, and check to see if they're meeting their goals. Now, a lot of my students need more than one area of focus, but I'm only picking on one thing because the more things I try to accomplish within that one student, the harder it is going to be for them to focus on what skill they're trying to practice. So for example, the little kid that needs to sound out letters probably also doesn't have spaces between their words, but I'm only picking on one of those things at a time. To me, sounding out the words is way more important than putting space between the words because first I need them to know what the whole word is as they're writing it. And then after they master stretching out their sounds, 
we can say, okay, now every word needs to have a space so we can read it and we understand these are different words. Because if they don't know what a different word is, it doesn't matter about the spaces. So it's got to go in that order. So after they master the first goal, sounding out the words, then they get assigned a new goal. So never more than one goal at a time, if that makes sense. One goal in that same area, I should say. So just like reading, I use math fluency for my math goals. And I like to start with mastering addition before I move into subtraction. And I know not every teacher believes in providing timed fluency tests for math, but I believe it does a lot of work. Like, (laughs) does a lot of not work, but it does some good for students. A lot of students really like that aspect of the, the rush of beating the timer. Like, my students cheer Like they cheer and they groan when the timer goes off, but there's that sense of urgency that they're kind of lacking this year. So having the math time test kind of pushes them to like beat the clock and get more used to doing things speedily. And also as second grade, one of their standards is to know these math facts um, automatically with fluency. So timing them is a really good way to understand are they knowing them quickly? Now, you can find alternatives, and you're more than welcome to try that, but I just personally find that the little half sheets of timed math facts really is easy to manage in my classroom. Right? It's tried and true. Parents understand what's going on when you send those home, and the students can easily look at them and understand as well, like, okay, I passed this one. I'm on to the next one. So I like to use those. Now, when you're tracking student goal progress, you really want to have a super simple system because if it's not a simple system, it's going to be really hard for you to keep up with it and keep it updated. So I try to release most of the responsibility of tracking the goal to the student. But since I teach second grade, I do have to monitor that they track themselves correctly. So I personally have a spreadsheet to track their reading fluency scores as part of RTI, but then I also give students a paper fluency graph that they can color in. So for math fluency, they're also given like a fun little tracker, and this is like coloring for themselves. So you can go to shareteaching.com forward slash student learning goals it's underneath podcast category. You can find the, it should be right on top for most recent. And you can look at pictures of these different fluency tracking devices that I'm talking about to kind of give you a better visual. So if you go to my website, shareteaching.com, you can look at these pictures and see what exactly it is that I'm talking about. So For the math fluency, they have like these little ice cream scoops are building a sundae. And at the top is the cherry. So the cherry means they finally mastered the last of the math facts for addition. And then there's a subtraction version. Right now we're doing addition because it's the beginning of the school year. So as students pass that level, they just color in their little ice cream scoop. And it's just a really fun way for them to keep track of that. And then you could do like a little ice cream party when they pass I do not. Um, I have a lot of allergies in my classroom, so I am not planning on doing that kind of a thing, but I do have other rewards, which I will talk about at the very end of this podcast episode. 
So I try to do time tests at least two to three times a week. My goal right now is to make it on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Today is Tuesday, and I happen to not have been able to get to it, and sometimes that happens. So I just will try again tomorrow to make sure that I have the copies available, and I pass out that time test so that the students can keep moving forward with their goal of mastery. So writing goals are on a goal sheet that I give them that I've created that's kept in their writing notebook. So it's just in one of the page protectors in their writing notebook, and then it's just these little squares of paper that I've cut out that they glue into the appropriate spot on their tracker. And you can see that on the website. And so their first goal might be sounding out words. So they get a little piece of paper that says sounding out words with a little picture to help remind them what that means if they're not a reader yet. And they, plus it looks cute having a picture. And then they just glue it on their tracker and I write the date that we started the goal. And then once it's met, I put a final date on there. And then they get a second goal and then they keep going until their tracker is full. And then they can get a new tracker. So I do have trackers that I will be using that are specific to narratives, opinion writing, and expository writing. And then I have one for year round. So right now I'm just using the year round ones, even though I'm finishing up my personal narrative stories. I felt that that was more beneficial right now for my students than trying to do the personal narrative goals. So those are kept in their writing folders. And like I said, it's a simple matter of it's in there to help reference. And then as I walk around and I see their writing, I can say, okay, let's look at what your goal is. Okay, did we do that on this piece of paper? And literally it takes, what, two, maybe three minutes standing there having a quick conversation with the child where they can look at what they've written and they, we can look at what their goal is and they can say, oh, no, I didn't. And then they can fix their work. So it's... the it's on top of their mind for when they're doing it at the moment. So reading fluency is also monitored weekly, and the students are giving that fluency graph to color. And then I like to hold on to that graph. I have separate folders for each student for their RTI folders. So I just slide it into their file folder. <laughs> Sorry, I'm drawing blanks. Manila file folder. It's just labeled with their name on it. I slide it in there. I keep it in my teacher desk drawer. And then when it's time for them to get their time test, I pull that out and I time them on their passage. I show them where to color. They color it in. They bring it back to me. I keep it in there. When it's complete, it gets photocopied so I can keep a copy for my records. And then I send one home. The reason why I keep a photocopy for my records is because when conference time comes, I have a nice visual record for the parents. And then if they didn't see it coming home, this is the time they could be like, oh, yeah, look at that. And parents see more clearly, just like the student does, of them going up and down and fluctuating in their score. Or they'll see they're kind of like plateaued and they're not progressing anywhere. So I like to keep a copy for parents to see. So I hope this episode's provided you with some ideas on how to get started with student learning goals. I find providing students with just a few personalized goals excuse me, can help them feel empowered in their own learning. Younger students, of course, love to see their progress. So offering them fun incentives, I told you I was going to come back to that, <laughs> is a great way to keep their motivation as well. 
As much as I try to instill intrinsic motivation among my class, sometimes you just need that external reward. So I never really tell them I'm doing it, but once the first person gets it, they understand, ooh, I'm getting something for that now. So I like to enroll my class in the Pizza Hut Book It program. It's free if you don't know anything about it. They had it when I was a kid. It's been around that long, probably a good 20 years they've had this Book It program. And they send you little certificates that you can give the student. It's like a little coupon that's worth a free personal pizza at Pizza Hut. So Pizza Hut, thank you so much for your support towards literacy and helping teachers foster a love of literacy using your pizzas (laughs) as incentives. And please go ahead and check that out. I don't know if it's open year-round to sign up. And if it's not, please make a note of it to do it for next year because it's a free thing. You can get it digitally. You can just have, I always go for paper because I like the tangible thing. I can hand the student and be like, here's your coupon. And then the other thing I did is I went to a local trampoline gym and I said, hey, I'm a teacher in the neighborhood And my daughter loves to go to this place, so that helped. She was with me that day, and I said, I'm a teacher in the neighborhood, and I was just wondering if you had some kind of incentive that I could take to my students to get them excited about goals. And they gave me a massive stack of coupons worth one hour of free play. No cost involved. Parents just show up and give them this little coupon to play there for one hour. And I got a huge stack of them, so I can pass those out. So my plan is to give those for the math and then the book it for the Pizza Hut as meeting reading goals. So I hope this has helped you, and I really want to know, how do you work on student learning goals in your class? Please don't be shy. Reach out. You can always respond to my emails. You can find me on social media and send me a DM. I am at shared teaching across all platforms, or you can always leave me a review and rate me on iTunes and comment to episodes there. So thank you so much for listening and I will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. If you've loved this show, then join me in sharing the teaching, hitting that subscribe button and leaving us a review on iTunes so we can be found by more teachers like you who are ready to start sharing the workload. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Find new episodes each week on shareteaching.com. Thanks for listening to the Share Teaching Podcast. Podcast.